X marks the spot. Well, in this case, the treasure isn't gold. It's a steel 100-story high-rise on Michigan Avenue. What's that building? It's the John Hancock Center. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. You'll recognize this high-rise on Michigan Avenue by its giant steel X's on the side of the building. They're both eye-catching and functional. We're getting a closer look at the tower now for our What's That Building Chicago Icon series. We spoke with WBEZ's architecture sleuth Dennis Rodkin about the building and about some breaking news that came in just today. The signature room, the restaurant at the top of 875 North Michigan, closed. It's been there for 30 years. There were uh, restaurants there prior. Wow. Um, closed because what they said was um, economic circumstances, you know, foot traffic on Michigan Avenue, foot traffic in restaurants way down. And Danny reported that they somewhat abruptly closed the restaurant. Goodness. Yeah, I was talking to folks earlier in, in, in the building and they were like, did you hear about the signature room? I mean, it's it's sending shockwaves. I think it is. Well, one of the things Danny said in his story is that it's sort of a gut punch to Michigan Avenue mm. because that building, I mean, truly is an icon, as we're going to discuss and that restaurant, something like that closing, a restaurant where you go to see a view you can only see from 98 stories up, um, when that closes, you do sort of wonder, well, you know, what's next? What is next? Well, you know, most people know this building as the Hancock Center, but a few years ago, we know that it officially became 875 North Michigan Ave. Why the name change? Well, the John Hancock Life Insurance Company, which had funded construction, which had actually managed construction of the building half a century earlier, uh, said, look, our naming rights expired. Please take the name off the building. They, I mean, they specifically said, we don't want you to call it the Hancock anymore. Oh, my goodness. So what's the message, your message, rather, for diehards out there who still want to call it the Hancock Tower? I know you're going to pick at me on this because we've fought about we've this. We've talked about this we before have when we with, did the, the, with the Willis Tower. Right, exactly. Um, I feel the same way, and that is... Like, if you're insisting that it should be called the Hancock, who are you obeying? Who are you doing a favor to, right? The the people who funded construction, whose name was on the building for half a century, said, yeah, we don't need our name on it anymore. Um, it's unfortunate that now it's only known by an address. They were looking for, probably still are, a new naming rights. Yeah. It could be called something like the Sasha and Dennis Tower. But um, <laughs> that would for be now, incredible. I mean, calling it the John Hancock is is ignoring what the people who used to have that name asked you to do. Yeah. Well, we talked about this. It's tall, right? Give us a sense of, of the views from the top. Well, as anybody who's been to the restaurant or the observatory knows, uh, it's pretty remarkable. You can get a higher view, of course, by going to Willis, but uh, you, you really can't get a, an, a more amazing view taking into the north Wisconsin you see down into Indiana, really see one of the things everybody knows who goes up in high rises on Lake Michigan is that you actually feel that you can see the curvature of the earth. Um, because you're so high up, uh, it, it may be an optical illusion. Well, that's but, quite a view. The yeah, curvature of the earth, Dennis? Well, you're seeing so far. Um, and it, I mean, it's really remarkable. It's one of those things where until you go up there, I took some friends who were in from California up there once several years ago. And I was, you know, we're going to the top of a tall building. You'll have a nice view. And, and, and they got up there and their jaws just dropped because mm -hmm. you see that incredible shoreline we have that stretches all the way up, of course, into Wisconsin, down around to Indiana. You see everything in the city. 
Um, it's like getting to the top of a mountain in a yeah. in a European town or a, or a Western town and looking down at the city. Now, is the observatory still going to be open? The observatory is separate. Yes. Okay, so that's not that's unaffected. Right. So part of what makes the the building so tall are the radio antenna on top, right? Uh, and without those, fun fact, listeners actually wouldn't be able to hear us on WBEZ. So why do we broadcast from there and what's it like having to fix that signal? Well, let's listen to Bill Prendergast, who's director of RF transmission and maintenance here at this station. It provides an ideal location for WBEZ's transmitter site as it enables us to clearly broadcast our signal over our entire listening area. The location is also ideal for ease of access in the event of any major equipment failures, which though seldom happen, they do happen. Fortunately, with some of our upgrades over the past few years, we're able to switch to backup systems either automatically or remotely, which will make it pretty unnoticeable to the average listener when things go wrong up there. It gives us time to go up, troubleshoot, and make repairs as necessary, regardless of the time of day or night. All right, so let's go from the antenna back down to the ground, Dennis. Describe what you see if you're just standing outside the building. You know, it. I think it's a pretty remarkable sight, especially yesterday when the top was surrounded in fog or, or in mist. What you see is a trapezoid. It's it's a little bit ruined by having the antenna on top that make it look a little bit more like a giant slug than like a, a trapezoid. But it's this giant black trapezoid, very trim because it's you know it's got the steel beams and then the X's going up, all essentially one color, and um, it's it's just this incredible monolith of mid-century Chicago modernism. Yeah, it stares at me on my Lakeshore Drive, you know commute every morning as I'm, I'm heading here uh, to work. And the building's actually designed as a tube, right? With, with no internal supports? This is the amazing thing about that building. There are, there are a couple of others that came before, but this was really for the world, the demonstration of what structural engineer Fosler Khan came up with. Um, it, so it, it's entirely supported by its exterior. The, mm. the beams that go up the sides are the tube and essentially and of course it tapers and then the x's pull those pieces of the tube uh, pull those supports of the tube together so the whole thing is like um, essentially like a piece of bamboo Fazlur khan was from bangladesh and though i haven't read where he said it people have said about him that he based his concept on bamboo which is uh-huh. a hollow tube and it's all supported by the the systems that run up the sides and the Hancock, formerly the 875 Michigan, other buildings, Brunswick here in Chicago. There's a an apartment building just two blocks uh, east of the of the building we're talking about that also was built this way mm-hmm. prior to this one. They were demonstrations, and this sort of said to the world, "Look, you can go up a hundred stories with this tube system." Mm. Well, when I heard we were going to be talking about these X's today, Dennis, it reminded me that almost exactly a year ago to the day, you and I sat in the studio and we talked about a different building in Fulton Market, also known for its, you know, sort of X design that supports the building's structure. So do the X's on 875 North Michigan work in a similar way? Yes. Um, well, in a similar way, the... the Those were like braces, really. Right? Yeah. The building we're talking about now is sort of the grandfather of the building we talked about about a year ago. 
those pull together. Um, there are two sides of, of the building, and those pull together the two slabs of the building. Yeah. Um, but they also brace it against wind, et cetera. It's a far lower building than the one we're talking about. What you really have to think about for a building this tall is um, what's going to happen with the big load of wind that's going to hit the face of that building coming off the yeah, lake. Yeah, like how is this strong enough to withstand strong winds along that lakefront? Well, I'm not a structural engineer, but... Um, first of all, we have more than 50 years of proof that it does work. But again, it's that structure. It's the, the tube structure, like a piece of bamboo that would, uh, well, that would be impervious to wind. Bamboo mm-hmm. would sway because it's skinnier. But um, those structural beams that run up the sides and the X's that connect them protect it. Yeah. Well, we talked about uh, Fazlur Khan. What, what about other players on the design, like the architect Bruce Graham? And uh, the developer, Jerry Woolman. Why don't we talk about Jerry Woolman first? Because essentially he comes first on this project. So it's uh, the early 60s. He's this fast-rising developer, this very brash-talking guy in Washington, D.C. He's just bought the Philadelphia Eagles. He's about to found the Philadelphia hockey team, the Flyers. He's a huge deal. He's built lots of buildings in Washington. He comes to Chicago and he says, I've just bought this block on Michigan Avenue and, and uh, before he makes any public announcement, he goes to Skidmore, Owings, and Merrill, mm-hmm. where Bruce Graham works. And what he wants is to put two buildings on the site, 70 stories high. Typical of what was built at the time, he's going to put apartments in one building and offices, other commercial uses in the other building. Two buildings, 70 stories high. But they run into this little problem, which is the casino club, a longtime social club on Michigan Avenue, is on the uh, the northeast corner of the block he's bought, and he hasn't bought that. And Graham is doing his designs and things, and he says, you know, we can't get two buildings onto this site. And besides, if we do, the people in the apartments are going to be looking right into the offices mm. or and vice versa, and they're not going to like that. So Woolman says, well, what if we put it? And supposedly he actually had two models and said, what if we stack them on top of each other? And Bruce Graham says, oh, sure. And it's Chicago, right? Let's, instead of building two 70s, let's build 100. Ah. And there were setbacks during construction? There were, yeah. So then then they bring in, Bruce Graham brings in Fosler Khan, who creates this tube-like uh, design. And I, I've, I've tweeted a picture of the model that was in the Tribune. I saw that. And yeah. it, it must have looked like to people like it was just going to be this giant, because, of course, at the time, a lot of the buildings that are around there now weren't. So it's a lot of like 20-story buildings, and here comes this 100-story building. A lot of excitement uh, and and actually moving pretty quickly. And so uh, to root a building like that into the ground, you have to lay caissons. You essentially run giant concrete pins down into the ground. Yeah. Bruce Graham, in his oral history, says that what happened is you should uh, – the, the builder was sort of in a hurry and so was – while you would drill down through these cases for the caissons, you would then pull out the drill, pour in the concrete. He said what they were doing was pouring in the concrete before they pulled out the drill. So the concrete settles imperfectly or unevenly. Millimeters, very small little bit, but you're building a 100-story building. Right. You better stop and check that out. Construction stops for four months. Oh, my goodness. Well, fast forward, you know, things, the building changes hands, 875 North Michigan as we know it now has shops, parking, offices, residences. So it's mixed use, right? Yeah, well, and the, and so this is the interesting thing. 
Woolman had piled the two on top of each other saying, let's just put all the uses in one building. And he essentially sets the stage for Water Tower Place, uh, Block 37 on State Street, and buildings all over America that mix uses. It was, it really was, if not the first, one of the first to say, let's put it all in one building. Yeah. Well, before I let you go, an important weekend for Chicago architectures coming up, Dennis. Open House Chicago, mid-October. Mid-October. You've got another story that's out right now about housing prices in Chicago. Uh, They're eye-popping. I got to squeeze that in, too. What's happening? Well, uh, home prices in the Chicago area have been growing at twice the speed of the nation's home prices. That's in large part because a lot of the places that were super fizzy, like um, Phoenix, Seattle, San Francisco, they have slowed down and even been dropping. So the nation's home prices are growing far slower than they were overall. But ours continued to grow because we didn't boom, so we didn't bust. So we're still growing, not at a super fast rate, but because everything else has slowed down, yeah. uh, we keep growing. But what that has done is uh, it's now more expensive to buy, more, harder to afford a home uh, here than it has been in at least 15 years. Jeez, Dennis. I know. That's Dennis Rockin, real estate reporter for Crane Chicago Business with all types of good news. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Sasha. That episode of the Reset Podcast was produced by Linnea Dominic, who edited it with Dan Tucker. Listen to more conversations about education, politics, arts, and culture by subscribing to the Reset Podcast. And when you do, make sure to leave a quick rating and review so that more listeners can find our show. That's all for Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again this afternoon.